0: Um... All right, so here, so so for those of you guys that are new, um, I had a pretty eventful summer this summer. I had my my uh, my son got married early this summer, and then uh, and so Jackie and I we rode the emotional roller coaster. We, we rode it, and then he got married, and then you fall off the cliff of emotion as soon as he's married. You're like, oh my gosh, did that just happen? And you fall off the cliff. But then we had to get ourselves back up because five weeks later, my daughter got married, and so then you go right back up, and now my daughter gets married, and just you're on the high point, and then you just fall off that cliff again, just gut-wrenching emotion. Two days after that, we drove Maggie to, to SeaTac Airport in Seattle and, and we loaded her on a plane to go to Australia for a semester abroad, and so now there's all kinds of emotion with that one, too. So we rode the roller coaster of emotion over this summer, and, and I, I won't complain about it. I love my kids. I love the stage of life that they're in, and, and so it's fun to see these things happen, but it still was, was just a lot of emotion for Jackie and I. We, in fact, we got back, and we're still living out of our suitcase. I don't know how many of you guys live out of your suitcase for like three straight weeks after you get back, but that's the way we are. I mean, my suit is just stuffed into the suitcase right now. So um, so we're, so we, that's, that's the place that we've been in this summer. There were two things that I was a little disappointed in in myself in the midst of all of that that was happening this summer. One... I gained about 10 pounds, okay? I just admit that. I mean, I, the, the, the wedding season just, it's not the time to gain weight because there's like 4,000 pictures that you got to be in. So I'm um, straight vanity speaking. I didn't want to gain weight, but I did. I gained about 10 pounds, disappointed in myself for that. Um, but the other disappointment that I had was that I really wanted to set out this summer and, and commit some time to the Lord. I wanted to, in the, I knew it was going to be chaotic, and so I thought, here's what I want to do. I want to journal a lot more this summer. I want to pray a lot more this summer. I put my daughter and her fiance's picture on the front of my phone to just go, just remember to pray for them throughout the summer. I wanted to read the Old Testament. I read three or four books. I made a pact with God that if, if the weather was good for both weddings, then I would commit my summer to him. So, um <laughs> Really, really good thing to do. Um, and, so, and so I just, I, I, you know, that's, I want to just make a summer where I'm just going in the midst of the chaos. I was right there with me and God. That didn't happen either. I mean, I think I made like two journal entries and I didn't pray nearly as much as I wanted to. Didn't read nearly as much as I wanted to. And, and I look back at that and I'm going, darn it. I messed up a good chance to be able to to spend that time with God. Well, when Jackie and I were driving home, 20-hour drive from Seattle to here, and, and as we're driving, I'm talking to her about it, and I said, Jackie, I said, you know, I, to gain that weight. But I said, that's all right. We'll just get right back on the horse. I'm going to get on the treadmill. I'm going to keep going. I'm going I'm to w- start watching what I eat. As it turns out, you can't eat McDonald's every day and lose weight. It's a weird thing. So, so, I, um, so I, I, I know that I just need to do that. So, you know, I said, that's all right. I'll just start right now and get going. So I'm going to start tomorrow. Um, the, the, but with the other piece, I was telling Jackie, I said, this one, I feel like, no, nah, I just blew it. I had the summer and I can't get that back. And I blew it. And I felt like this is one of those time, another one of those times where I tell God, God, I'm right there with you and I'm going to do this. I'm going to follow you. And, I'm gonna... and then I just don't, and I don't follow through as much as I want to. And did I just disappoint God again? And, just, and I'm telling Jackie as we're driving home, I'm just going, how crazy is it that I give myself all kinds of grace for the physical stuff, for, for you know, working out and that kind of give myself all kinds of grace there. But I don't give myself grace when it comes to the God of grace and the God of love and the God of mercy and the God of forgiveness. And that's the one I'm not giving any grace to. That's the one I'm not thinking, okay, I think that God's okay with where I'm at right now, Bill. You can just move forward right here. Instead, it's not. I blew it. What's going on in my heart? What's going on in our hearts when we're in that place? I want to talk a little bit more about that today in light of this series, You, You, okay? We're doing a series looking at just our life, how we are seeing our life, and then how, how God intersects that life, and what happens when we start to lean on Him in the midst of that, okay? We're doing that, and in, in we're, we're taking a close look at one person in the Bible, David. David is a king in the Old Testament, and so we're spending some time with him because, because the Bible tells us that king was a man after God's own heart. Well, what's that mean? And what can we learn from that that helps us get this sorted out a little bit more? That's what we want to talk about a little bit more today. So let's pray together and we'll dig right into this. Father, we pray this morning that you speak to us and and we trust that as we spend time in your word, it will be things that will last. I know, Lord, there are many times that I have sat in church, listened to a message and gone home and forgot all about it. God, I pray that your word would sink in deeply into our hearts and they would remember it and that, that we would be able to process through that. So, God, speak to us of eternal things today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Alright, here's what we're gonna do. We're going into 1 Samuel chapter 16, okay? So we're right, we're going right into the Old Testament into 1 Samuel. He's one of the prophets, and, and we're gonna we're gonna learn from him, okay, this morning. A little bit of background with it. The, the, the people of Israel wanted a king. God was saying, no, you don't need a king. But they're saying, no, all the other nations want a king, so we want a king. And so Saul became king. He said, fine, pick somebody out. And they picked out Saul, and Saul became king. And Saul wasn't a great king, and so the, and, and the people kind of started to see, oh, this is what you mean, Lord. This is why we didn't want a king. Saul wasn't a great king, and there was one point where God was finally saying, it's time to anoint and to appoint a new king. And so he comes back to him and he says, he comes to Samuel, the prophet, and he says, now I want you to go and anoint and appoint this new person for, that's going to be king after Saul. And so he sends him. So here's where we pick it up. In 1 first, in first Samuel chapter 16, he says this, Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Now, I'm going to stop right here because just in those two sentences, there's a lot of history in this. Sir, and there's a, there's a lot of significance in just those first two sentences. I'm sending it to Jesse of Bethlehem. You guys, it's from this point on in Scripture, from this point in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, it's from this point on in Scripture that we really start to see God's plan for Jesus to come into this world this is where it starts. We are introduced to to Jesse at this point. Jesse is the grandson of Ruth and Boaz. Ruth, one of the great, great women of the Bible. We're introduced to her grandson, Jesse. Jesse's son is David. Jesus comes from the line of David, okay? So we're introduced to David at this point. We're introduced to Jesse at this point. We're introduced to the line of Judah, See, it was Abraham and Abraham and Isaac and Isaac had Jacob and Jacob had 12 sons and those became the 12 tribes of Israel. And so if you think about it like a family tree, from those 12 sons, through one of them, Judah, through that line came Jesse, that ultimately came to David and then ultimately leads us to Jesus. From this point on, we're introduced to Bethlehem, the place where Jesus is going to be born. And so God has had this plan all along from before time began that Jesus was going to come into this world and that Jesus was going to be our savior of this world. But this is where you start to really start to see the pieces start to be put in place. You're going, okay, now we're getting it. Jesse leads to David that ultimately over time leads to Jesus, okay? And he says, I've chosen one of his sons to be king saying, it's time for me to intercede in this history that you guys have chose Saul, but now it's time for me to choose it because here it comes. You're going to see my son down the road coming from these decisions that are coming right now. Okay, so, then, so, he, so he sends Samuel. Samuel did what the Lord said. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. And so, so here you go. So, so Samuel gets there. Jesse brings his sons before Samuel. Samuel is this prophet that's, that knows, okay, here's what God wants. And he, says, and he says, he brings in Eliab. Eliab was the oldest of, of Jesse's kids, and this is the one that for sure was going to be the one that was going to be picked. This is the one that had all of the credentials to be picked, especially being the firstborn. And so he says, Eliab comes in, and and Samuel, who knows what God wants, says, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. And then this is one of the most important. If you're going to memorize the passage of Scripture, memorize this one. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God sees things different than we do. Let that sink in. He sees our problems different than we see Him. He sees our life different than we see Him. And He sees His people different than we see Him. He sees you and He sees things in you that you can't even see in yourself. He looks at you and He's going, man, I know what I can draw out of you. And I see something that you can't see. And this isn't a message for the person sitting next to you. It's a message for you. God sees you. And says, I can see something that you can't see. Because we only see on the surface. But he can see something far, far deeper. It's why when you look back at Scripture and you go, why did God choose Jacob instead of Esau? When you go back and read that story, you're going, Esau seems like such a better guy. Why did he choose Jacob? Because God sees something that doesn't make sense to us. His perspective is different than ours. when When you look at Matthew in the New Testament, when Jesus got to pick out his 12 disciples, he had thousands of people he could have picked in that region to walk alongside him. He picks a tax collector, a cheat. Why in the world would he pick Matthew? Matthew had to be wondering, why in the world would he pick me? Because God sees us different than we see ourselves. He's got a different perspective. When he saw Mary, the prostitute, I mean, really? Mary had to be going, no chance. Me? When he sees Paul. Paul is the person that wrote most of the New Testament. And he was killing Christians. And God says, that's the one that a few thousand years later, we're still going to be talking about. Why Paul? He's killing Christians. Because God sees it so much different than we do. God sees us so much different than we see ourselves. It's so important, you guys. You could be sitting there right now and going, you know, someday here at Ascent, we are gonna, we're going to launch another church. We're going to plant another church. That's always been part of our vision of Ascent is that someday we're going to plant another one. You might be sitting here and you might not even believe in Jesus. And you'll be the one that plants it. How weird is that? How weird is that? And you'll say, not me. Are you kidding me? I don't even believe this stuff. Paul didn't either. And God chose him. Because he sees it different than we, see, than we see it. Man, we've got to grab hold of that because so many times we will slight ourselves and we'll slight somebody else, and God's got something powerful for them and powerful for us. Jesus, Je- Jesse called Anin- Anin- Abinadab and had him passed in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass by Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are, all the, are, all, are these all the sons you have? Seven of them lined up. And Samuel doesn't know. He thought it was going to be Eliab. And he said, so are these all your sons? This it? Well, there's still that David kid. They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. This guy wasn't even good enough to get in the lineup. He wasn't even, he wasn't even considered enough to be in the room. He's out there cleaning poo out of the ground in the sheep's pen and stuff, and, 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 and they want him to come in. So David comes in. Samuel said, Send for him, and we'll not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and Adam brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features, and the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. Can you imagine David? He walks in and Sammy says, that's the one. David's going, the one for what? (laughs) What are you talking about? He he doesn't see it. Can you imagine the brothers? What? They don't see it. Man, we got to be encouraged. We got to be inspired how God God sees us and how much different he sees us. And that's the really good of this passage. Now, let me tell you the, 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 the challenging part to this passage. When, he, when we go back and we see what he says and we say, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Here's, here's what I get concerned with when I see that. I don't, know if he wa- I don't know if I want him to see my heart. See, we've gotten really good in our culture of presenting a really good outer surface. We've gotten pretty good at presenting ourselves as here's who I am and here's how, here's how good I am. We've we we've, we're high, we get we're pretty good at hiding. I mean, uh, social media obviously is, is is the main way we can just we can go on there and just present ourselves as the very best. But we do it in lots of other areas too. It, 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 as a neighbor, do your neighbors really know what's going on in your house, or do you present yourself as best you can? to your workmates, to your schoolmates, to your roommates. You try to present yourself as best you can. It's why roommate situations get to be such a hard situation because all of a sudden you can't fully um, hide (laughs) because they go, oh, wow, wow, that's you too? You're a mess, you know? They they, they conclude that and that's where there can be conflict because all of a sudden you see something that you didn't see before. We're really good at at presenting something on the outside, but I don't know if I want it, I don't want other people to see my heart. This is where a lot of the mess can lie that I can hide. I don't know if I want God to see my heart, because this is where some of the real messed up stuff can, can come from. I, I wrote a few of them down. The heart, the heart is where, is where you see a faith that struggles to trust. The heart is where you see a determination to live for him, but struggles with obedience and discipline. It's a heart wanting to be loyal and true, but turns its back, worships false idols, and sometimes even deliberately defies. This can't be the type of heart that God wants to see, right? It can't be. It's a heart that's set out to be ultra-obedient, but loses sight, loses the battle, and loses the summer. It's a heart that should break more for the oppressed and be more generous and be more giving and be more thankful and be more aware and be more intentional and be more compassionate and be more trusting. It's a heart that should be less selfish and less hurtful and less lazy and less self absorbed. Do I want God to see that? Do I want anybody else to see that? Can't we just live with just the stuff we've got on the surface? Because, see, if others see that, the response is not going to be positive. And if God sees that, we conclude in our heads, whether we like it or not, or whether we want to admit it or not, that we conclude in our heads that God's not going to like it either. You start thinking about God and you're going, God, if God sees all those things in my heart, he must condemn that. He's got to condemn that. He's got to judge that. He's got to be disappointed. At minimum, he's got to be disappointed. He's got to be frustrated, impatient with my foolishness, ready to punish or hold back or ignore or ready to reward someone else. Or he's pulling his hair out or he's raising up his arms in disbelief and turning his back and shaking his head. He's saying, what are you doing? You know better. Why? How could you? I'm not sure what, you, I'm not sure what to do with you now. You blew it. Nothing can be done. Can't be fixed. Always broken. Always broken. We don't want to think those thoughts about God. But for some reason we do. And when you're in the midst of doubting, you're not thinking thinking anything positive. You're thinking punitive. God's going to be upset with me for this doubt. When you're not trusting him, you know God's going to respond with some... God's got to be frustrated with your lack of trust. When you're apathetic... God must just be going, fine, I'm going to somebody else. I'm going to turn towards somebody else, but not to you. And those are the things that we, we the, that's the characteristics that we start to make up in our head about who God is. Because everything in our life, whenever we haven't lived up to something, the response is punitive. When you're a kid, if you didn't live up to it, there's punishment for it. When you're in school and you don't live up to what the teacher wants, there's punishment for it. It could be a grade, it could be detention, whatever it is. When you mess up in work, there's punishment for it. And so we look at it and we go, man, if we're messing up in our heart, if our heart's messed up, there's got to be punishment for it. But this is all about a God that sees it differently than we see it. See, we conclude those things and we say that, that you know, that's the way, that has to be the way God's thinking. That has to be the way other people are thinking. And here's what happens. In our self-condemnation, when we project that onto others and we project it onto God, here's the one word that is sacrificed the most. Honesty. We sacrifice honesty. We don't want to be honest to anybody else because we're afraid of what that might do, the repercussion. We don't want to be honest to God because we're afraid of what that might do. And so we present ourselves as best we can some sort of identity that is the most acceptable to the people around us. Lisa Turkhurst is a, a fantastic writer and author, and she, she wrote about this. She, said, she says, as long as, I'm, as long as I suspect that honesty's intention is to expose me and hurt me, it will always feel like a dangerous thing. And then she goes on and says this, When I avoid honesty out of fear of rejection, relationships feel increasingly unsafe. And I put on there with others and with God opportunities feel increasingly risky and life feels increasingly uncooperative. I carry on because that's what we do, but this nagging sense of rejection, real or simply perceived, is doing more of a number on me than I care to admit. Rejection steals the best of who I am by reinforcing the worst of what's been said to me. You guys, this is why early college life is so hard, the first couple of years, because you don't, you, you, I don't know what to present, I don't want to be fully honest about who I am because that's not going to be accepted. And so I have to present this image of me. And that gets tiring and that gets lonely. That's why core groups are... Jim just announced that we're going to do core groups this year. That's why core groups are so hard for people to get into. When you get into a, a group of six or seven people and you got to share life with each other, man, that means I either got to be honest, or I just got to keep up this facade. That's why a lot of men, especially, I'm going to single you guys out, we don't like it. It makes me feel weak. It exposes the mess inside. And so I'd rather just keep everybody and everything at arm's distance with whatever image I've created about myself. We're afraid of the honesty. And so we just live away from it. You guys, Jesus never responded to his people, his disciples. When you looked at his disciples, he never responded. All the different ways that they messed up, he never responded, responded punitively. He never responded with the. and now here's your punishment for that. Every single time Jesus met up with his disciples and the messed up stuff that was going on in their hearts, Jesus responded with love and with grace and with mercy and with forgiveness. Every single time. And the Bible tells us if we know Jesus, we know God. And if we start there and start going, can I be honest with God? Maybe I can start being honest with others. Maybe I can start being honest with myself. And maybe I can truly live into who I really am. But I first got to start here and say, well, did, how does God see me? When you look back at every single time Jesus worked with his disciples, when his disciples screwed up, when, when the kids wanted to come to him, to Jesus, and the disciples jumped in the way and said, don't you come near him? Did Jesus go, you guys are idiots? No, he said, come on, let the kids come to me. He, he, he responded with grace and mercy. When they had doubts when they had doubts over, can Jesus really do this? He calmed the storm. When they, when they flat didn't believe, Jesus showed them, all right, then I'm going to show you why you should believe. When they denied or betrayed, he said, go do what you must do. You got this journey that you got to walk on and go do what you must do. I'm going to be with you even though you might not even know it. When they turned their back or when they were fearful and didn't trust, he calmed the storm. When they were lazy and fell asleep, he woke them up. And when they were arrogant, argued with who is the greatest, when their pride got the best of them, did he send them away and go find some other people that would, would respond more humbly? No, he just got on his knees and, grabbed the towel and washed their feet. Every single time the messed up hearts of the disciples were exposed, every single time Jesus responded with love. He loved them. Period. He didn't, he didn't, it wasn't God loved, he loved them and, comma, and, it wasn't he loved them, comma, but they got to do something. He loved them. Period. We go back to Lisa Turkhurst and what she said. She said, I needed a completely new way of defining my identity. I needed truth to inform what I believe about myself, not that faulty view that we have of God. I needed truth to inform what I, what, what I believed about myself. See, we get this faulty view and that becomes what's informing us. But there's a passage in scripture that says, man, we got to take our thoughts, take them captive and make them obedient to Christ. That word obedient, it means, it means following what you have heard. And we don't make them obedient to Christ. What have we heard about the character of Jesus? Have we heard Jesus to be condemning? Have we heard Jesus to be judging? Have we heard Jesus to be, be someone that, is, that has no patience with us? We haven't heard those, so we have to take our thoughts and this false, false view of God, and we gotta, we got to change that and go, no, no, i got to see what the true character of God is. I think that's why David is a man after God's own heart. I think it's one of the reasons why. I think that David, David wasn't even in the room when, when, when Samuel was there and he was looking at all these other brothers he wasn't in the room when God says, I look at the heart. I don't look at what's on the outside. I see something different than the way you see it. But you know, David probably had to have gone to Samuel and gone, why me? And Samuel's going, because God's saying he sees something in you that I certainly don't see. I would never have picked you. But God sees something that I don't see. God has a, God's perception is different than yours. God can see what you can't see. And David knew that. David knew that right to his core. So that when he feared God, or when he feared what was going on in his life, as Saul is chasing after him, wanting to kill him, even in that fear, he still leaned on the, the true characteristics of God, not our false perception. When he was in the midst of his worst stuff, his stuff with Bathsheba, where he committed adultery and then he had Uriah killed, in the midst of his worst stuff... He still leaned on the true character of God and not just lived in this guilt because deep down in his core, he's a man after God's own heart. Deep down in his core, he knew the true characteristics of God. You know why we know that? Because David gives us a glimpse into his heart by the journal entries that he gives us through the Psalms. In the the Psalms in the Old Testament, a number of those Psalms, if if you're reading in your Bible, you'll see every once in a while, you'll see this, a Psalm of David, a Song of David. These were his journal entries. This was his heart as he was going through his life. I want you to see Psalm 86. I'm going to read this entire psalm to you because I want you to see how David, in the midst of running, in the midst of his pain and his guilt, in the midst of what is going on in his life, I want you to see how he concludes the the true characteristics of God. Listen to this. Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God, have mercy on me, Lord, for I call you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call you. Hear my prayer, Lord, listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call you because you answer me. Among the gods there is none like you, Lord, no deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds, you alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love towards me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you, but you, Lord, are compassionate and gracious. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength in behalf of your servants. Save me because I serve you just as my mother did. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. You guys, if you went back through there and highlighted every one of those words, here's what you'd come up with because I wrote them all down. Helper, comforter, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, abounding in faithfulness, deliverer, non-comparable, great, marvelous, forgiving, good he guards, he saves. David is saying this is the true character of God, not my false perception of him. And I will stand on that foundation through all of my life, the good and the very bad. And this allows him to be honest. It allows him to be honest with God and it allows him to be honest with others. It allows him to then bring Psalm 51 that Jim talked about last week. Jim Jim talked about Psalm 51. He finished his talk that way, and then Becky came up and sang it. And when she sang, Create in me a clean heart, this is another journal entry of David's. Create in me a clean heart, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation, and renew a right spirit within me. When David wrote that, he was being honest with God in the midst of his pain for the decisions that he made. In the midst of his sin and his life and the things that he did in turning his back on God, he's going, create in me a clean heart because I know you can. I'm leaning on your character on this one. I can't tell you how many times I look back at the formative years of my faith in college and I was sitting there at University Press Church in this tiny little chapel by myself. How many times I walked up into there in the midst of the unbelievably stupid decisions I was making. The stupid decisions I was making with friends. The stupid decisions I was making with girls. The stupid decisions I was making with, with, uh, with the finances, the, the limited finances that I had. I mean, uh, the number of things that I was doing that I would then, I was going into that chapel and I'm just going, God, I know your true character. I'm not going to live in this guilt. I know your true character. It is a character that is about love and grace and mercy. Loved, period. And I knew that. But I got to be honest with you. Over the years, when Becky sang that song, it brought back the memories. And I'm going, where has that been in my life recently? Maybe it's because I'm a pastor in front of a church, and so I have even more. um, um, I put more pressure on myself to go. No, Bill, you can't mess up. This can't be messed up. There's too many people that I'm walking with. This can't be messed up. And so maybe I I forget that character, and I start believing that false character that says I'm disappointed. And what that did last week when Becky sang that, creating me a clean heart, is it brought me right back to a firm foundation that says, wait, wait, I'm loved, period. And now, God, do your work on my heart. I decided to, to, to do this one dumb little thing here. I, I decided to get these, this little blue band and and um, and I didn't want a big fat one that says what would Jesus do. I mean, you can have that if you want. I just didn't want that. I wanted just a, a, a little band and on it. I, be- I mean, you can. I just had it debossed in there. You could barely see it. It just says L O V E D period. And I just put that on there. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick that on my on my wrist. And and I just want to remember. I just want to remember when I start feeling those feelings. I want to remember. Wait a minute. I am loved. And I don't do it. I don't snap it to punish myself. I'm not doing that. I just know it's there. And I just know God is saying to me, you're loved. Embrace that. And let's move from there. I decided to get a bunch of them for you guys too if you wanted one. So they'll be at the door if you want to take one. You don't have to, and I know it doesn't fit most of you, and if it doesn't, then put it around your water bottle if you want to, or whatever you want to do with it if you want it, or if you need somebody that needs it. But I, I just thought maybe there's somebody else in the room that's like me and needs to be reminded a little bit more often in a very, very subtle way. I am loved. Period. Father, I want to pray that, that, that with each one of us today that in the midst of our stuff and the stuff that we're carrying and the false, the false characteristics that we continue to live out about you. I know that's the thing that breaks your heart. It's breaking your heart that, that we're seeing you in something that's not you. God, turn our thoughts of disappointment into thoughts of love. Turn our massive guilt into mercy and forgiveness turn our our shame into a deep seated love that you have for us and Lord I'll pray that that would even happen with other, with the way we respond to other people because I know Lord that there's a lot of people that are afraid to share what's going on on the inside, what's really going on inside in our hearts because we're afraid of the condemnation and judgment from others God, help us to be people that don't have an opinion, but instead just have a love that's from you that we can pour out on others so that they wouldn't be afraid to be honest. We wanna be honest before you and before others. God, help us to do so knowing that we are loved, period. It's in your name we pray.